And as you go to John chapter 13, I'm going to ask you this question and, and just contemplate this. Um, what is it this, this week that you took for granted? What did you take for granted this week? Maybe some precious blessing, something that maybe at one time held you in awe. You were blown away by how awesome this thing was, but then after a while, not so much. What is it that you took for granted this week? That's a hard question to answer because you took it for granted. <laughs> you don't even probably process it as you go through life. You just, you just move along, you know? Uh, I... I went out, we got married on the West Coast because Dana's from the West Coast. And the first time I was out there and saw, uh, driving just down the you know, regular highway and saw the mountain that filled up my windshield when I drove around the corner and saw Mount Hood, it literally took my breath away. And I was like, because oh. it's just, it's huge, it's unbelievable, it's enormous, it's majestic. And people are just driving around the corner like whatever, because they see it all the time. You know, it, it, it kind of just goes away. The wonder just goes away for them because they're used to it. I've seen people do that at the ocean. They, they come out and they look at the ocean and they're like, wow. And I'm just like, whatever. It's a lot of water because I've always lived near the ocean. You know what I mean? So you almost can't tell what you're lost in, what you've missed, what you've scooped over. I'll tell you this. Last week, I got done speaking speaking and preaching and walked off stage and talked with you, never for once did I think that might have been the last message I ever preached. Just take it for granted. I, well, I got to speak next week on the next thing, right? And then Friday, many of you heard, we had a pretty traumatic accident, car accident. And, and I was very aware, we were, Dana and I were very aware in the car that this may be the end. I mean, when you're seeing a tra- trailer come at your door and a tractor trailer hits you a- repeatedly, you're very aware that we've got no control about what's happening here. And thank God we're fine and we walked away, but it reminds you that fast. Some of the things that you take for granted, another day, another opportunity, things like food or heat or family and friends or a job. Or, I mean, there's just blessings everywhere in our life and we've lost the wonder of it. We just don't pay attention to it. It just blows over us and we're like, yeah, it's just life. It's just a day. Is the wonder of life gone for you? And what are you missing because of it? It seems to me that it's very easy for us to to hold on to bitternesses, to things that aren't the way they should be in life. But it seems like just as human beings, this is universal. The wonder slips out of our fingers naturally. There's like this gravity that just pulls us away from joy and towards something else. Numbness, sadness, something. But not we are not pulled towards joy, you know, or wonder. And and it makes me think about some of the things that that God has done in our lives, some of the ways that we are blessed, some of the things, maybe the the person that you're married to, when you first met them, you were just in awe of the goodness of God, and now you just take it for granted. There's not been a moment. You're just so used to filling up all the moments with keeping up with what's happening on the news or or the next thing or scratching things off your to-do list and being done and done and done that you never have any room for wonder. To let your mouth drop open at how good God has been to you. And some of the reason that your life is all tangled up is because when God continues to be faithful and good, you just take it for granted. As a matter of fact, if God takes something away that he's been good to you in, you think it's your right 
And it sucks really a lot of the joy, a lot of the, the, the enjoyment out of our life. But what I would suggest to you today, what I really want to share with you is that there is one thing that we generally take for granted that matters more than all the rest. It will have a bigger effect on your life than any of the other things. If you're not as thankful for your food as you could be or whatever, okay. That, that has an effect on your life. But if you lose sight of this thing, it will do more than you can imagine, not only to your experience in your life this day, but every day that follows it in your life. And that's what I think, I, when you look at these first five verses of John 13, that's what comes to my mind. And so let me set it up by saying this. What difference do you think it makes to someone's life when they believe they are unloved? When they believe, true or not, not even evaluating, when they believe that they are unloved, what difference does that make in their life? How does it impact someone to feel genuinely loved? I'm sure that you can imagine some of the ways, some of the, the, the things that happen to someone who feels that they are unloved versus someone who feels that they are loved. But you might be surprised at how, how deep this goes. came across a study this week that says, physically, those who believe they are unloved are susceptible to things that normally wouldn't affect them. Things like diseases, infection, inflammation are seen at much higher levels. Reactions to, to uh, you know, contaminations and things like that are at much higher levels in those who believe they are unloved than those who believe they are loved. It has a physical effect on you. Even things like allergies, they, they, the study includes things like you are, uh, your allergies are bigger and more reactive when they, they shouldn't be. They, normally your body should be able to fight that off. Lung function decreases. Migraines intensify. High blood pressure problems appear. Like there's fallout, literal, physical, experiential fallout to believing that you're unloved. And that's just physically. You can imagine what it does to you emotionally, psychologically, even spiritually to believe that you are unloved. Because being loved or unloved is hardwired to be a huge deal to every single person. Even you guys, it's a big deal to you. Because love is not just the mushy-gushy, you know, I, I cut you out of heart and, and sent you a candy, right? L- we're talking about love, that you matter, that, that you're not just a nothing and a nobody, that somebody thinks you're something, and that you are, are, are wanted. And, but that matters to every single human being, no matter who you are. It's hardwired into you. And so we're going to look at the story of Jesus at the Last Supper, starting with, in the upper room, this story of the foot washing, just five verses. And what I notice as we read this, and I hope that this comes out to you, is there, the way the Apostle John writes this is that there, is, like, there are these outcomes. He gives a fact and then he gives a reaction to that fact and it's these unexpected outcomes. And the whole thrust of it, the whole point of it, and the, the appeal that I want to make to you today is, is this. I want to put you in a place where you can just stand in awe and wonder of God's love for you. Now, I know that you know God loves you. You've heard it. I know that you maybe even mentally accept it. Maybe there's some here today who have a trouble believing that God really loves you. And and if so, I hope that I can show you that God does indeed love you. But what would it be like 
if you lived in amazement at God's love for you this week? If, if you lived in the assurance of it this week? And so what I want you to see today is that you are loved. I want you to see how you are loved. I want to reach that part of your soul that needs to know it. Because at the very core of God's interaction with mankind, the story of how God has interacted with us throughout history is love. What we see in our world today is that many in our culture are in love with love. Even if they're not quite sure what it is or isn't, they, they kind of have a feeling of how important it is and they're in love with it. They love to write songs about it. They love to talk about it. They love to be in love. And so what happens because of this hard wiring is that we spend ourselves both consciously and subconsciously to find and hold on to love. Have you seen that around you in your life? People who are looking to matter. They are looking to be significant. They are looking to belong somewhere. And they chase it. If you're unsure that you're loved, you constantly push at the boundaries. If you think someone's trying to show you love, you distrust it. You question it at every turn because you're so scared of not being loved that you're sure you're not. Or you chase it. You believe that if you could just get a little bit more of love, you'd be satisfied and whole inside. And so why do you think that there's this universal need in the heart of mankind to be loved. Why do you think that is? I would suggest to you that the story we see today points to that answer. That God designed you to need love so that you would really be able to know Him. Because there's only one actual answer to your need to be loved. There are substitutes but there's only one answer. Life needs love in all its depth, in all its reality, or you don't really live. And so I'm going to start at verse 1. We're going to read read this, the first three verses of John 13. And I want to start off to kind of the way the Apostle John does. He says there's a few things that Jesus knew in the upper room. So, So see if you can pick them out here as we go. It starts verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. All right, so this, kind of the setup here. What did Jesus know? I just want to look at these things and because if you consider what John is saying, you, the outcome of this is not exactly expected. Okay? A couple things that Jesus knew. First thing, he, apply, he says he knows a couple things and then he implies he knows another thing. So the first thing Jesus knew, his time had come. Jesus knew this was his last night. That tomorrow he would be hung on a cross and die that he was going to die. This is the Passover feast where he is crucified. And in less than 24 hours, he will be dead. Throughout the Gospel of John, as we've gone through the Gospel of John, it has been very clear, and the Apostle John has made it very clear, that Jesus knew exactly what was coming for him. He was not surprised that he wound up on a cross. He said, if you remember John 3 to Nicodemus, the Son of Man must be lifted up. He said in John 12, when I am lifted up, I will draw on man unto me. And people said, wait a minute, what are you talking about dying for? 
He knew exactly what was coming, and he said to them, I will be lifted up and die. And the, the Gospel of John makes it clear that Jesus was aware of the timing of his death. At the beginning of the gospel, he makes water into wine. He says to his mother, my time has not yet come. Later on, he says, he slips away from them because his time had not yet come. It wasn't time. But this chapter begins by saying, Jesus knew it was time. Jesus knew it was time. And you're like, yeah, of course he knew it was time. But, but think about this. What would your reaction be if you knew your time had come? If you knew that by tomorrow at this time, you would be gone from this life. What's the human reaction to that? What do you do to that? See, that, we, we, we just take for granted. Well, of course he knew his time has come, whatever. Has it blown you away that Jesus knew his time had come and he chose to keep going towards it? If you're a parent here, think about your little one. There's something about being a mom or a dad that teaches you about the love of God in a way that nothing else does. So think about this. If you found out today that your child was going to die in the next day, how would you react? Let's add to that, that you find out not only is your child going to die, but that you have the power to save them. How would you react? This is God. Can he stop this? I mean, do you understand why he didn't? When it says he knew his time had come, what he's saying is this was the path all along that Jesus chose not just to leave heaven and come to live in this earth, not just to take this unimaginable step down from the glory of being God and worshiped in heaven, sitting on his throne, to step down to earth, but to be rejected and to suffer and to die and to go towards it. That God the Father loved you in such a way that he said, here's what I'll do. I'll sacrifice my son for you. Does that make you just shake your head? Does that make your mouth drop open? Do you believe that God loves you like that? That you matter to God like that? Like, whatever you're worried about coming, and does your prayer life look like this? God, oh God, please don't forget me. Please God, do this thing for me. Please don't fail me, God. Like, you're worried that God doesn't care about you. Like, you're worried that you have to get his attention. The scripture presents God as somebody who is trying to get your attention. Because you've already got his. Because he loves you. Be in awe. That he knew his time had come. He doesn't, you know, shift gears. He doesn't spin out. He's not going crazy. I got to cross something off my bucket list if this is the end. He goes and he celebrates the feast that they celebrate every year. He doesn't indulge anything. He doesn't throw caution to the wind. He sits down with his friends and spends his last night with them. The purpose of John mentioning this is to show us that Jesus wasn't surprised, but to say that he chose this path. That he had the option to do something else, and he chose it because he loves you. Now, what's even more surprising is what John implies next. 
if it can be more surprising, what he says is the evening meal is being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Now think about this. It doesn't say it there. It implies it there, but it says it explicitly later at the dinner. Jesus knows Judas has already purposed to betray Jesus. He's already decided that the devil's already prompted him to hand him over to the Jewish religious leaders so that they could destroy Jesus. They could find a way to kill him. We have read it as we've gone through the book of John. They've decided the solution to the Jesus problem is to kill him. Terrible solution, but that's what they decided. And so they needed somebody to to serve him up, to give them an opportunity to carry this plan out away from the crowds so that they could have it and they could manipulate the information and they could make it what they wanted it to do. And at this point, it's probably more than just intention. It's probably something that's beyond just his imagination. That would be a good idea. It's probably that he has literally gone and met with the chief priests and set this up. Said, I know where he'll be tonight. And when he leaves, I'll come and get you. And I'll lead you to where he'll be. That Judas is sitting at the table with the disciples and Jesus, determined in his soul to sell him out. And Jesus knows it. What would you do if you knew you were going to be set up? What would you, knew, what would you do if you knew that the person sitting at your table is the one who would be absolutely the end of your life? And you've got, you know, 11 friends sitting around him, one of which wants to take up a sword and fight for you. And one word from Jesus about, this is the man, get him, It could be solved. It could be taken care of. Jesus knows it, and Jesus has the opportunity to do what you or I would have the opportunity to do, and maybe would be tempted to do, to try to stop the disaster, to try to sidestep what's coming. But Jesus not only doesn't try to sidestep what's coming, he leaves this man there and does some unbelievable things for him. One more thing Jesus knows And this is, I can't even really get my head around this. So just grab a hold of this and and digest it over the course of this week. Because here's what it says. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. He's going to wash the disciples' feet. The, The reason he washes their feet is because Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. This is like your lifelong dream. You have control of everything. You can make things the way you want them. You've got absolute final say on your life. You've got absolutely control. You can make people do what they should do. You can stop people from doing what they shouldn't do. Isn't that, wouldn't that make your life great? If you had all things under your power, if bills were never a problem, if your boss was never a problem, if your spouse was never a problem, if your kids were never a problem, if the government wasn't so stupid, right? Like, all things under your power. You have all power. What would you do with it? What would you do with all power? Whatever your answer is, I know this, you would use it. Right? If you, if it, you had the, the, the genie come out of the lamp and three wishes to you, I'm sure you're not like, first wish, I would like to, you know, get down and wash everybody's feet. 
Jesus knew that he had all power given to him, that he had everything completely within his control. And instead of doing what the normal human thing is to overcome things with strength. Think about what Jesus knows he's going to do. He's going to save the world. That's what he wants to accomplish. He wants to save the world. He wants to deliver people from evil and save the world. So if you have all power and you want to save the world, what do you do? Well, you take that power somehow and you squash evil. You destroy the devil. You wipe the wicked off the earth, right? You, that's what you, you, you show your strength. You use your strength to accomplish what you want to accomplish by strength. That's what we do. When something frustrates us, I, my first question is, what can I do about this? Uh, let me see how I can assert my power somehow over this to make it the way it should be. And so John says, Jesus at this moment knows that he has all power, that he can do whatever he wants to do. And so the connection between that and the next verse is incredible. So read, me the other, read with me the other two verses. Here's what Jesus responds to what he knew. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. What did Jesus do in response to knowing that he had all power. He gets up from the table. As the leader of this group of men, as the man in the seat of honor, he gets up from this table. He takes off his robes and takes on the adornment of a slave, puts a towel around his waist so that he can do the work of a slave. He knows this is the last night of his life. He knows he's heading out to suffer. He's looking at the man who will betray him And he has power over everything and what he chooses to do. So, he gets up and washes their feet. He says, let me serve you. They watch him do this. And they know what he's doing because they're used to having their feet washed. But they don't understand why. Because he doesn't tell them. He's he's not saying anything to them. He's just doing it. His, His actions are doing his talking. And what are his actions telling us? John says that because God had put all things under his power, he washed their feet. He decided to serve them. He decided to not use his power to save himself. He decided to not use his power to sidestep God's plan. He decided that power would promote or prompt humility, service, giving. Jesus says, the exact right response to having all things under my power is to wash your feet. He fixes nothing. He fights no battles. But what he does is he finds the way to humble himself most visibly and completely. And he says, that's the way I'm going to go. Why did he do it? Why did he do that? Well, he does it, and later on we'll look at this next week, he says as an example so that we will serve one another in love like that. But I would suggest to you, nobody here is ever going to serve anybody like Jesus until you know that you're loved. Because you can't freely interact and freely give unless that love need has been settled in your soul that you matter. And what Jesus is doing here, before he calls them to follow him in service, is he says, here's what I want to show you. You are loved like you can't imagine. 
And so he bends down and he washes their feet. He's going to be their servant. As a matter of fact, the next day, he's going to demonstrate his love in a bigger way because he's going to let himself be hung on a cross and die for them. They might have thought, as you and I might have thought, what a horrible tragedy. How did this happen? What could we have done to prevent it? What Jesus does here is say, in this way, what I want you to see is that I'm choosing to serve. When I put my life up on that cross, it's not because anybody took it from me. It's not because I'm surprised. It's because I'm choosing to serve you because I love you like that. I'm not, I love you like, I'm glad to see you. I'm not, I love you like, is there something I can do for you? It's, I love you, so I will give my life for you. Let that wash over you afresh and anew. What kind of love is this? The the disciples getting confused. Jesus saying, listen, I want you to see this. I want you to see my love for you. And, And secondarily, consider this. Not only did he know his time was coming, and so he washed their feet to show them that he chose to be a servant. Not only was it that all power was put under his direction and he chose to use it to serve, but around this table is sitting who? Judas. As Jesus goes around the table, there are two feet that belong to the man that's about to walk out the door and turn him over to death. Now, have you ever felt like you've done something so bad and so wrong and so awful that God can't love you? That maybe he just ticked you down a notch on his I care about you scale? Why don't you measure yourself up against Judas right here? Do you see what Jesus is doing? In front of everybody who was about to realize what Judas has done, Jesus, and and John says, he knows, because he he points it out in the the coming verses, Jesus bends down and washes Judas' feet. Because he loves him. Because he wants him not to go do the thing that he's going to go do. He wants him to know that I care about you. And people can choose to reject God's love. Many people do. Maybe you have. But that's not Jesus' direction for you. It's inviting you to embrace his love, to believe that you are loved, to know that you are loved. And so Jesus washes Judas' feet. What, what's what's Jesus' or Judas' reaction to that? What, what does he take from that? Maybe he's offended. It seems pretty clear that Judas wanted Jesus to deliver, to be powerful, not to be weak. And so Peter was against this whole foot washing thing. We'll see that next week. Can you imagine maybe Judas may have been like, I don't get this. This is stupid. He's lost his mind. He's washing our feet like our slave. He's supposed to be a king, not a slave. We're going the wrong direction here. He could have been offended by it. It may have been that Jesus' action of love was the very thing that sealed Judas' mind to walk out the door because he would not accept love like that. And maybe the choice in front of you is whether you'll accept love like God gives it or not. Maybe you need love some other way. Maybe you want to be loved some different way, by some different person, by some different mode. You want to feel strong in love, not weak in love. And so you push God's love away from you. It is the answer for your life. But you say, no, thank you. 
And that's what Judas did. And yet Jesus went to him. The message Jesus sent with his actions is beyond imagination. But you need to know what the disciples needed to know. And so the last thing I want to do is say, do you understand how John put this together? Jesus knew these things, and so Jesus did this. And he tells us why. And he told us right in verse 1. He says, having loved his own, he now showed them the full extent of his love. What's the point of all this? The point of Jesus doing this, the point of Jesus stepping out of his power and humbling himself and washing their feet was so that they could see the full extent of his love. He washes their feet, not because he is subservient to them, because they made him, because he doesn't have the power to be in charge or to rule, but because he loves them, he chose to serve them. And because he loves you, he has served you. Have you considered that the God of the universe loves you enough to serve you? He invites you to talk to Him and to pour out your heart to Him. He cares about it, and He will work in your life. Why? Because you were good enough to make Him? No, because He loves you like that. Because He cares about you like that. Paul says later on in Romans, If God did not spare His Son, how will He hold back any good thing from those who are His? Is that incredible? That whatever comes your way in life, you may have bitter things, you may have hard things, you may have sorrows of your soul and stresses in your life, absolutely. But what you can know is this, that what's coming from God to you is an expression of His desire for you to be well and good, for Him to serve you because He loves you. And that love is unshakable. That love is unfailing. And here, he, he had said enough things and done enough things that they could know his love. They could have a sense of it. But Jesus' passion is not for you to have some sense of it. He wants you to know the full extent of his love. And so every now and then, we get together and we break bread. Because Jesus wants you to know the full extent of his love. Remember what I did so that you would know that you matter. You may feel like you don't matter to anyone else. But Jesus says, I want you to be absolutely clear on this. You matter to me because I love you literally to death. They had a hard time seeing, and Jesus understood that. Jesus wasn't like, what's wrong with you? You're so thick-headed. He said, I know this is difficult for them to digest. I'm going to show them in a way that, that they can feel, in a way that they will remember. It's going to be so shocking that it will never leave their minds. Has, has God ever shown you how much He loves you? Have you seen it in your life? Have, have there been moments where even you have picked up on the fact that God is watching out for you? I know, we're kind of thick-headed sometimes, right? So here you are, you're, you're going along in life, and you ask God for something, and it seems like there's no way that could happen, and God does it, and you're like, wow, God heard me, and God answered or a crisis showed up in your life that you never expected coming, and God shows up in the middle of it with His protection or His provision. Uh, you walk into church and you feel like you're on your very last legs and someone says to you, hey, how you doing? You matter to me. Let me pray for you. And you're like, you came from God. I can't believe it. Somebody mentions a word in a conversation. You're like, that was from God. 
God actually cares about me. Have you had those examples where you know God loves you, where he put it on display? Do you see what that is? It's a progressiveness of God saying, I want you to know the full extent of my love for you. Like, I know who you are as human beings, and I know that if it's been a while since you first heard the story about God dying on the cross, it probably you're starting to take it for granted. You know, we have a cross out in our lobby. You probably don't walk in and burst into tears thinking about the cross because you're kind of used to it. But listen, own the fact that as human beings, there are some things that we cannot afford to take for granted. And the cross is a reminder of God's love for you and I. And we can never afford for that to be something that we get blasé about, that we lose track of, that doesn't affect us. He wants you to know the full extent of his love. That's the God we worship. That's the Savior that we adore. We sing at Christmas time, oh, come let us adore him. Why? Because he came to die for you. He came not because anyone forced him to, not because he saw it as no other choice. He came because he chose it, because he loves you like that. He wants you to see it. He wants you to feel it. Will you open yourself up to that so that God can break through? Or will you be Judas sitting at the table saying, nope, got my own plans. Not going to believe it. Not going to change me. I'm going to go do my own thing. Christ is pouring himself out for you. Will you receive it? Will you pick it up? And so look back at your life this week. Is there somewhere where God showed you his love? where God showed up this week? I asked you that at the beginning of the service. I'm asking you again. Is there something this week where God showed you his love? Is it possible that he showed you his love more times than you picked up on? That some of the, the whispers or, or, or the, the flashes of God's love that, that he put in front of you, you just blew past? Maybe this week, let's be more aware. Maybe for you, you're in a struggle of whether or not you are loved. You live every day believing that you are unloved. And I'm going to tell you, if you will let God show you, he will pour out his love for you. Maybe you're trapped in the destroyer's trap of being so focused on what isn't what you'd like it to be, that you've been taking God's love for granted and kind of like passing over it like it's no big thing. I would invite you, to marvel at the love of God again. Maybe you've heard about it over and over again, but you can't believe that it's for you. Yeah, I know God loves people, but you know me? I don't know about that. If God loved Judas, I would suggest God loves you too. If God wanted Judas to know his love, I would suggest that God is making every effort to show you his love as well. Don't take it for granted. Maybe you've heard it so many times it hasn't impacted you for a while. Today, what I'm inviting is for you just to stand with your mouth open in front of God and say, I can't believe how much you love me. Let it take your breath away. Let it shake you to your very core. And so we're going to close today just with a little bit of time for you to reflect on that. Just a a couple moments uh, with some music uh, and the song, How He Loves Us. And what I want to do is I want to, you can go with me if you want to. Or I'm, you can just close your eyes and just, just let it kind of wash over you. But I'm going to go to 1 John chapter 3 because the Apostle John later on writes this. And as we kind of close, I'm going to give you some time to reflect on this. I'm going to give you some time to maybe have a conversation with God about his love for you. Just to thank him for it or to tell him maybe you've been pushing it away, but you want to stop doing that. And maybe you're like, I don't know about this whole love of God thing, but I want you to show me, God. 
And so I'm going to do this. I'm going to read from 1 John a couple of things, and then we're going to just be quiet for a moment and have those conversations. Then I'll close in a word of prayer. But I want to give you a space here to be in awe of God's love. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. Verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Chapter 4, verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. I invite you today, be in awe of the great love that God has for you. It's the whole theme of this book and it's the whole theme of your life as a child of God. Let's just take a moment and be in awe of him.